It's bad ink, Jim, but not as we know it. Hello, cuz this is Bing. Welcome to the Bashcast, brought to you by BookieBashing.net, betting at 100.1 and above. This is Bashcast episode number 171. I want to know Zalatoris. I've been waiting about a year for this. And second place is good enough. I might not get another chance, so I'm going with it. Just come with me. It is 38 minutes past seven. On Friday the 16th of April 2021. Coming up in this evening's Bashcast. We have a look at the 2021 Masters. Just a little brief look. Uh, the horse racing tracker has been smashing the lucky 15s recently. After the break, we talk about Matchbook. And we finish with a segment that I forgot what I did. Because I'm not going to lie, I'm too excited about this. <laughs> Come with me! Come on! Come on! Yes! I wanna know Zelatoris! I want you to show me! I wanna feel! Alright, bit weird this bit, but let's go with it anyway. Yeah, all of that and more coming up after a little bit of foreigner. about 2000 and something, 2010, maybe 11 years ago in the Wolverhampton Civic Hall. It was Europe and Foreigner, it was a double bill. Back in the day before we had children, my friends John and Vicky, before they had children, before we had children. 
Wolverhampton Civic Hall sells these two pint beer glasses. So every time anyone went to the bar, they would come back from two pints of lager, like in a single glass. And they stuck, we were getting down them quicker and quicker and quicker. Nobody remembers the end of the night. We sort of remember this song. But we don't remember getting home. There's chicken. <laughs> chicken somewhere. Listen, from the feedback, from the mailbag we get at the Bashcast, it's about 50-50 people that appreciate and like the Bashcast and people that hate it, hate it enough to write in. Feel sorry for those guys. The 50% who have guns to their heads, forcing them to listen to this dredge. I'm telling you this now, episode 171, that ratio is a little bit closer to 80-20. You know which side's the 20. <laughs> if you're, listen, if you're on the 20 and if you're still with me, then, look, it's the right side of the canal to the road. <laughs> so, how about that US Masters, hey? Never fails to deliver that tournament, does it? So... Um, turned a profit, but what could have been? I mean, Zalatoris, Will Zalatoris was one of my largest bets um, I've had. I've sort of ramped up the stakes on the golf after consecutive um, consecutive months of making profits, and my bankroll is very healthy on the golf, so it's time to stake a little bit higher. Uh, as a result, Zalatoris would have been would have been one of my largest payouts. Started off, though, on day one, fired a few darts on the first-round leaderboard. Um, not sure I've got a discernible edge there, but just have noticed, sort of heuristically noticed, that a, a lot of guys who are quite high prices on the outright on the tracker, they do well. I see the same names appearing at the top of the leaderboard in day one of tournaments, uh, and then they just don't have the form or they don't have the mental wherewithal to sort of hang around and go um, back to back, wire to wire, uh, 72 holes and hold on to it. Very few people do. Very few first round leaders end up winning the winning the damn thing. So I fired a few darts, and what I, what I decided to do, my tactic was going to be. Uh, I was going to get on a few of the guys who made my shortlist, but I didn't end up betting on because I'm betting on 10 to 15% of the field, although US Masters is the one event of the year where if you want to really max out, go up maybe up to 20%, whatever, just like there's so much value in the Masters. Uh, it's the one event of the year. I don't know why there's so much value. Well, there's 88 golfers of which at least... 10 don't have a chance because they're uh, reoccurring invites. Um, bookmakers are offering 11 places. I mean, in other tournaments, they're offering five places in 140 player fields, and this they're offering 10, 11 places in 78 player fields if you take out no chances. Um, and they're doing that to get recreational punters in the door for golf betting for the year because it's meant to be the first tournament of the year. But are they really? I mean, if you go to open up a William Hill account and fire a few golfers in there, were they 10 places worthy? Uh, they'll just restrict you immediately. So th it seems like their marketing strategies aren't, you know, that clever. But whatever. It's so much value, it can't be ignored. It's the one event of the year that has the most. Compared to the Grand National, it's huge. Um, 
So I pushed out on Zalatoris, but on the first round leaderboard, I took a load of the guys that were uh, in my shortlist but didn't make it. And those guys turned out to be very UK-centric. Uh, there was Lee Westwood, who's had a couple of seconds recently, didn't feature at all, didn't make the cut. Um, we had Paul Casey um, was value. Um, Matt, Matt Fitzpatrick was one of them. And Justin Rose was another one of them. Um, and it wasn't on purpose that it was UK-centric, but that decided, I decided that that looked like fun. So um, I maxed out on those guys. Tried to win a grand on them, but the problem was I was only mugging at markets and I was trying to trade a price. And I got greedy. So uh, about 10, I went to 80 to 1 um, or 80 point zero so uh 800 pounds 800 uh, return for justin rose in the first round didn't have him the outright so didn't want him to win uh, i had another 100 quid on other first rounds so um 700 pounds up on my first attempt at first round leaderboard which is fine if you like uh i'm gonna use that free shot as a sort of bankroll for first round leaderboards going forward just because i'm not entirely sure of the edge is kind of experimental but you know I need to have skin in the game. I can't just, uh, if I'm going to experiment with this going forward, I actually need to be winning and losing money to have enough attention to sort of develop this edge. So uh, um, second uh, week of doing that, it's just now the Austrian Open. I didn't do any for that. But the RBC Heritage, I fired a few, uh, including Cameron Smith, but it didn't go. So again, I was the same as Rose. I was greedy. I was trying to trade one price up, but there's not that much um, movement and liquidity in the first round leaderboard. And I've got to learn this lesson. You know, I can't just take any price, but I was just trying to trade 70 for Cam Smith um, when 65 was available. 70 didn't go, not a single penny went. Uh, and then he was first round leader over Stuart Sink. So had I not been greedy, I would have had two or two on the first round leaderboard as it is. Um, I have lost on the RBC Heritage. But back to the Masters. So um, we'll continue looking at that first round leaderboard. And then Hideki Matsuyama put his foot down. And by the start of um, the fourth day, he was four shots ahead. So somebody had to do something. He had like four or five guys at seven under. He was on 11 under. Uh, perfect start. By the second hole, uh, Will Zalatoris was at 9-under, Matsuyama at 11-under. So we got a bogey for Ma bogey, pa bogey birdie for Matsuyama, birdie birdie for Zalatoris. So that four shots is now two shots. But by the time we were on the 13th hole, and I was tired because I was golfing, I was golfing in a snowstorm on Sunday afternoon, where on the 18th green, a ball nicked James's, a dog, Nick James's ball and ran off with it, which was the funniest thing. <laughs> uh, and then a, a massive argument ensued about where the original lie was when he'd caught up with the woman whose dog it was. She had no idea that the ball was in his mouth. By the time we were on the 13th, um, Matsuyama got a birdie. He was now six shots in front of Zalatoris, who was back at seven under. So we had 13 under for Matsuyama in the first place. Uh, we had seven under for Zalatoris. I was tired. I was falling asleep and I was like six shot lead with four holes to go because that was the case in the 14th as well. I'm done here. I turned it off. I said, I'll watch the end of the Masters in the morning. I'll see Matsuyama put on the green jacket. He seems like a good guy. Japan's first major winner. 
Um, I see a lot of people, including myself, have bet heavily on him in the past, and he hasn't won. Uh, I didn't bet on him here. Didn't don't really know anyone that picked him up here. He, he didn't seem to be tipped anywhere either. But good on him. Well, look, went to bed. Fifteenth uh, hole, he goes bogey. Sixteenth hole, he goes bogey. Seventeenth par. At the same time, Zalatoris has gone birdie, par, birdie. By the time we're at the 18th hole, Zalatoris is in, because he's, uh, he's in the group in front, at 9-under. Matsuyama bogeys the 18th for 10-under. That was closer than it could have been. If I'd woken up and I'd won my largest golf bet of all time, which Will Zalatoris would have returned for, for me, I would have been simultaneously delighted with the money in my pocket, but so frustrated that I hadn't stayed up to watch it, because who would have seen that? For a finish. Masters never stops. Never stops delivering. So, um, lesson learned there. Anyway, I didn't want this to be too much of a golf segment because we talked about them um, plenty in the past. What I did have, though, is I had issues that day and the day before with my friend and HSBC. Uh, My friend wanted to buy a car. He wanted to buy a car and he was selling his car and he was meant to sell his car first, but there's a little delay in that. There was a delay of like a week. And so he had a little bit of a cash shortfall for like just one week until the person had bought his car. He just needed five grand for a week. And he, he said, you know, can I borrow you five grand? I'm like, yeah, you can borrow five grand off me, mate. I've known you for 25 years. Uh, and as a professional gambler, there there are people who have owed me more than five grand for, for quite a significant amount of time. And I, I don't know them as well as you. So you can have five grand for a week. I trust you, mate. It's not a problem. So I log on to uh, HSBC, my app. And I reported this. And there's a lot of people that are like, yeah, that's right. You lent your mate five grand for a car. You mean you sent your mate some money because you want his ID to bet with. Two things. One, so what? Having someone's ID to bet with isn't illegal. Uh, It's barely immoral. Um, It is breaking the terms and conditions, and it's slightly unfair, and there are some metagame problems with it going forward where it's probably not an optimal strategy um, to sort of industrial multi-account, but there's no issue with it. Uh, so first of all, so what? And second of all, no, it wasn't. I was literally lending my friend five grand so that he could help buy a car. Uh, and, uh, but not that that matters. Anyway, so I got to HFPC. I transfer him five grand. And then the next day, he goes to buy his car, and he says, I haven't got the money. And I'm like, oh, what's going on here? So I try and log on to HSBC, and my account's frozen. Which is brilliant. Uh, I can't log on. And uh, I then forget about it for an hour and I get a phone call. And the phone call is from a mobile phone number. And they just say, hi, um, we need to talk to you. But first, can you answer some security questions? Uh, What's your mother's maiden name? What's the second and fourth digits of your password? I'm not going to give you that information. You could be anybody. And your numbers come up as a mobile phone. I could phone anybody and ask them for that information. That is a really stupid system that they've got. Because it was HSBC, but I didn't give that to them, and nobody should. Because I could phone anyone and ask for that. It's a, that is not how secure 
security systems should be working for banks, that you phone people up and ask them for personal information like that. I said, like, if it really is the HSBC and you need to talk to me, what I'll do is I'll go online and I'll find the number for you and I'll phone you. Well, what a mistake that was. Because you phone them and you're on hold and they say, due to the ongoing coronavirus, uh, call times are longer than expected. Why? You're using the pandemic as a reason for uh, underinvesting in your staff. You should know you're one of the world's largest companies, one of the large customer-facing companies as well. You should know exactly how many people are calling you at every hour of the day and have people in place to deal with that so that I don't have to sit on hold uh, for an hour. But I did. I was on hold for an hour. It's fast. And it's, it's ridiculous that they blame the coronavirus. It's not the coronavirus. It's your really poor management uh, of your own metrics of your customers. So I get through and I say, look, did you phone me? And oh, yeah, we phoned you. Uh, it was the fraud team. Let me put you on hold. So, no, don't put me on hold. Transfer me. But no, they put me on hold for another half an hour. It's an hour and a half. And then the phone just cuts off. Yep. So I've got to phone them back, sit on hold. Now I'm fuming because I'm not productive. This is unproductive time. And bear in mind, all of this is about HSBC protecting themselves because they're liable for fraudsters. But this is an unreasonable amount of time. It's now another hour on hold, two and a half hours. It's an unreasonable amount of time to expect the customer. I could just go and bank elsewhere if I could be bothered to change everything like my mortgage and everything like that. So another hour on hold, and when I'm talking to someone, I'm then fuming, and I'm really aggressively angry. Uh, and you know, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. I threw vinegar at the guy. I was like, it's completely unacceptable that I've been on hold for this long and I've just given him all barrels, and I should know better because the customer service operator isn't in charge of the amount of people that are resourced in the customer service department. It literally isn't it. He, and he couldn't hate, and everyone shouts at them, you know? Uh, and I think I went a little bit too hard because uh, I hadn't passed the security by the time I was there and he gave me absolutely no opportunity to. Uh, he just said, unfortunately, they can't help with me just now. He didn't even transfer me to the fraud team and hung up on me. So that was me. So my account's blocked. I can't speak to anyone. I'll come back the next day. So I'll come back the next day, another hour. Uh, confirm it's me. Confirm I'm, it's, I'm transferring the £5,000. Then we need to know about my friend. Why is he buying a car? Has he been fraudulently duped into buying a car? I mean, Jesus, the questions that there are. I don't know. I know nothing about this car. I just know my pal wants a little bit of money. Now, it's literally easier for me to walk to his house with £5,000 of my shop bankroll um, than it is to transfer him the money. The only issue then is he has to take the £5,000 into his bank and deposit it. And it's, it should be easier doing it online but these days it's not and the reason it isn't is because the banks are protecting themselves they're not protecting us they're asking us to spend hours on the phone with them ask answering every single question under the sun about uh, do i know the guy where's the guy bought the car he was asking me where the guy bought the car from i had no idea i couldn't answer those questions and so that there were more questions because i couldn't answer certain questions i almost needed my friend in the room with me we get to the end of it um, 
they send him the money because they had returned it to my bank account. It lands in his bank account. He buys his car. He sells his car. He gets £5,000 in his bank. And five days later, he transfers me £5,000. And he sends me a text and he says, can you just confirm that you got the money back, please, Tom? And I log on to my internet banking and it's frozen again. And I'm back onto the phone with HSBC and I phoned them up stupidly. Pro tip here. I phoned them up at 20 minutes past 7 p.m. I was on hold um, for 25 minutes. I talked to the woman. She transferred me to the fraud team. I was on hold for another half an hour. And then it clicked through to an automated person who told me that their offices shot at 8 p.m. and I had to phone them back at 8 a.m. And obviously thinking phoning them at 7.25 and talking to someone in less than 35 minutes was a completely unreasonable expectation. And again, all of this is on them protecting their own bottom line. The zero of it is for them protecting me, us, or the consumer. And I'm pretty much done. I just want to deal in Bitcoin and everything just now. Uh, Jen! We're transferring the kids' school fund to Bitcoin. I just have forgotten my bleeding wallet password from a couple of years ago. Thank God uh, the price of Bitcoin hasn't shot through the roof in that time, has it? For the 2020 Randolph's Grand National, 40 runners getting away as they head uh, towards the Melling Road. One of the slowest away, keep me a cop was out the back early on. Sub lieutenants towards the rear as well with Bally Optic. Burrow Saint, any second now, the hoops with a white cap staying on, then Discarama. Here's the final fence in the Randolph's Grand National. And over in front, and over two, three lengths clear Manila times. From Balco de Flow, any second now continues to stay on. Burrow Saint wandering out into the centre of the track. They head towards the elbow with over a furlong to cover in the national. But it's Rachel Blackmore and Manila Times who are out four lengths clear of Balco de Flow. And any second now, Burrow Saint back in fourth is running on empty. 150 yards to go in the national. Manila Times for Jay Burke Manners, Henry de Bromhead, and more significantly, Rachel Blackmore. History in the national. Manila Times wins from Balco de Flow. Any second now is third, Burrow Saint four. Then Farclar, Black Lion, Discarama, Jet stuck on heroically from Cabaret Queen, Shattered Love, further back to Alfred Azobo and Hogan's Height. Stand up, Rachel Blackmore. Wow, well done. That's great to see. Can't believe, can't, can't believe that's the first ever female jockey to win the Grand National. You'd have thought it had happened before. She's had quite a year. She had two firsts at Cheltenham. She was the first female jockey uh, to have a winner in the champion hurdle. Uh, and then by finishing with six winners across the four days, she was the first female jockey to win the Ruby Walsh Trophy for leading Cheltenham jockey. Uh, and then... Uh, last Saturday, she rides Manella times to victory in the Grand National. If you'd have asked me had there been a female winner of the band, uh, Grand National before now, I would have put my money on yes, and I would have lost my money. I'm delighted to see it. Really good. Um, Manella times first, uh, Rachel Blackmore, 11 to 1. Uh, not quite the favourite, but as good as. Balco Days Flows. Aidan Coleman, that's where the money was, 100 to 1. That's where the money was. Because I'll tell you what, the value's always in the outsiders. 
Uh, coming up from 15th to 6th, so there's a few to get through here, but listen to the odds, 66 to 1, 50 to 1, 20 to 1, 100 to 1, 80 to 1, 33 to 1, 80 to 1, 80 to 1, but you're not getting any value or any places, sorry, from any of 15th to 8th. Uh, Betfred were eight places uh, up until the Thursday night. As usual, Bucky's not going crazy for the Grand National. They don't have to. They've got enough recreational money. They don't need to go nuts with concessions. What? They, who are they going to draw in by offering an extra place? Nobody. But they're going to end up costing themselves a lot of money. So concessionary places are never huge on the Grand National. But um, fifth far class, sixteen to one, had him. Fourth Borough Saints, nine to one, had him. And before you think this is going where it's going, that's where it ended for me. Um, third any second now 15 to 2 second was where the money was Balco de, de Flores imagine if the Balco de Flores had won oh a lot of people cleaning up a lot of at least advantage players cleaning up 100 to 1 I don't know how much Mug Recreational is on at 100 to 1 fantastic that Manila Times won at 11 to 1 so I won 100 and eight pounds on the Grand National this year. That's right. And that was from my two places of um, Burrow Saint and Farclar. Um, and then everyone else lost. Uh, my mum does her usual thing. Do you have this as an advantage player? As someone, If someone in your family knows that you make money from gambling, first of all, Grand National Day rolls around and everyone goes, who's going to win the National like you know? Like you're some sort of expert in horse racing. And even if you did know, it doesn't matter. You you, you can't beat the exchanges. So what are you going to say? If you want the most likely horse to win the Grand National, go and bet on the favourite. Doesn't mean you'll make any money. It's a, un, explaining the concept of equity um, is n- never more frustrating and annoying on Grand National Day than any other day of the year. Uh, and then s- secondly, like my mum... Uh, okay, I've got to take some blame on this. When I lost my first set of accounts, maybe 15, 16 years ago, my mum may have been my second set of accounts. <laughs> and so she can't bet online anymore. So she always asked me to. And she only does it on the big festivals. She does it at Cheltenham Gold Cup. She does it at Grand National. Thing is, I'm struggling to get money on for myself, mum. Especially, like, with the shops not being open. Do you know what I mean? So, um... Yeah, you know, I, I don't even have a Betfair exchange. They closed that down. So, you know, but it's your mum. <laughs> so I put some money on um, on Farquhar and Burris Saint for mum. A few other horses ended up uh, winning £2 from about £100 worth of stakes for her. I won £108. Could have been a grand down, could have been three grand up. So 108 ups, nothing. Um, overall, it had a losing entry. That's fine doesn't really matter the shops opened two days later on the monday monday the 12th so back on the shop bets back on the football coupons back on the lucky 15s tuesday the 13th of april 2021 going to shop place a 60 pound each way lucky 15 on opening bid who won at 22 to 1 at newton abbott uh, 10 past midnight, who lost. Thayer, who won uh, 9-1, to one, the 6.30 Newcastle. So already we've got a 22-1 to one and a 9-1. to one. Uh, Agent Burrow is worth 10 grand at 16-1 to one in the 8.45 at Ferry House on Tuesday night. I've got half an eye on the Champions League. What's going on there? 
looking at the XG, looking at the game center value, and all of a sudden I've got 10,000, well, just short, 9,800. I actually thought I had 50 grand because I stupidly didn't change the stake uh, from what it was in my each way calculator on the systems bets. So I thought uh, I had 50,000 pounds for opening bid. Opening bid came second by a length. Uh, and the slip returned just short of a thousand pounds. But my days, I thought it was on for 50 grand. It wasn't, it was on for 10 grand. That would have been like, I'm not sure, that would have been the worst 10,000 pounds I'd ever won because I would have thought it was 50 grand because um, I would have put in 10 pound each way stakes uh, and it was actually two pound each way stakes. I would have found out later it was 20% of the payout. It would have been miserable. It would have been utterly miserable. Um, but you know, still just short of a grand on the very second day of the shop, shops being open. But let's not talk about me because uh, there's enough people who say it's all bollocks. Let's talk about somebody who has um, independently looked at the horse racing tracker and placed some uh, lucky 15s. So if you want to go and get uh, an independent review of this, talking about the exact numbers I'm about to talk about, well, go and re do your research uh, because you don't just need to listen to me. It's not an advert, Tom. Basher Tom talking about it. Uh, he had a look at the horse racing track for 23 weeks, which I guess would have been um, 23 weeks, just short of half a year. So that would have been last few months of last year. First few months of this year. And good on this guy, because after um, 150, exactly 150, uh, just doing some mental math there, exactly 150 lucky 15s, after three weeks, he was down. He's actually lost some money, cumulative profit and loss, minus £65.78, which is nothing other than after you place 150 bets on anything, it does seem to be like, oh, for God's sake. You know what I mean? This is going nowhere. Um, you do kind of start to question. It's a, it's a long road, 150 lucky 15s, right? But he continued. He did 44 lucky 15s in week 4, 41 in week 5, 46 in week 6. So continued on this sort of 40 lucky 15s per week, which is about 5, 6 lucky 15s per day. How long does it take to place a lucky 15? Not that long. So five or six lucky 15s per day, every day. After 23 weeks, cumulative profit and loss, £11,979 and two pence, which isn't bad for four and a half months of placing lucky 15s. Uh, total number of lucky 15s placed 717, of which 191 were profitable, which is a nice little gauge, that. Let's just do some sums there. I'm interested in that um, that calculation. That means that about 26.6% of lucky 15s were profitable. Of course, some of those could be profitable by a quid. You know, if you pretty much break even. That, that sounds about right to me. So about three or four lose, one or four win, but a lot just win a few quid. And then a few hit that payday. Um... Again, there was a period between week 14 and week 17. So that's a four-week, week 14, 15, 16, 17. Uh, had a loss of 1,094 across uh, pounds over 79 different lucky 15s. Um, actually, between week 9 and 17, if you want to extrapolate, that was eight weeks loss 
1173 pounds with 181 lucky 15s so can you keep on going for eight weeks placing 181 lucky 15s and be down a thousand pounds what where would your mental perspective or where would you be if you were doing that i mean i know i if two months from me is if it's the length of time it's like you really have to have that robotic mentality that everything, the numbers have to work themselves out in the wash. Um, uh, there's an update to this over at the Independent Proofers. Okay, it's SBC. What's the point of it? Uh -huh. But go and have a look at them. Go and join up with them. They've got a load of people who are profitable over there doing stuff that we're not doing. Um, but this is an update to the report that they did in February. And yeah, you know, the guy made, I'm, I'm chuffed for the guy. I'm impressed by his temerity. Not everyone can do that. Generally, if you get an eight-week run with 181 lucky 15s that have uh, returned uh, minus £1,100, that's just about the time that we start getting a bit of emails and abuse sent in our direction, that it doesn't work or whatever. You know what I mean? So, um um, this dude went up to 717. I can't tell you to stick around for 717 bets. It's up to you. Only you know uh, the aptitude that you have. But it's where the money is. It's where the money is because it's the same as golf, but with volume, which is the most important thing. we got three new additions to the horse racing tracker. Right? Um... What's this stakes limited? Bookmaker three stakes limited to eighteen p after amount withdrawn three thousand four hundred twenty eight pounds and eighty two pence. You love to see it. It's like okay, you know, it's nothing worse than being stake limited after having made a loss at a bookmaker. But at least when you're three four grand up and you withdraw, at least something good's come out of the sign up, hasn't it? You know, a little bit more than the sign up bonus. Three new things. We've got the bookie bashing algo algorithm which we introduced at the same time as Cheltenham starting uh, because we put it in place to cover gaps in exceptional places thanks very much to the continual ddos through Cheltenham they did a weird thing as well what did they do the our server wrote to us saying um we're in trouble and sky are launching a legal battle against us because we are streaming sky sports on our service well no we're not <laughs> we're not streaming Sky Sports at all. Why do you think that? But uh, at the same time as the bleeding DDoS, is, um, we had uh, someone uh, infiltrate some malware, um, which made it look like we were streaming Sky Sports, which made Sky find us and then get in contact with the server. All this stuff that we're doing just takes time away from the development of profitable strategies for people. Whoever's doing it, it just seems to me... Why don't you just sign up and stop doing it and then let us develop some profitable strategies and you can make some money instead of annoying everybody. Anyway, I'm not meant to talk about it because by talking about it, that's where they get happy, isn't it? Do they get happy? They don't get happy. So the BB algorithm is that patch where bookmakers are offering exceptional uh, extra places. So, for example, uh, a bookmaker may be offering to pay out seven places instead of five places each way, um, and there may not be an equivalent seven places uh, market at Betfair or best bookie prices. That m means that you know we don't we don't work out prices of horses finishing in places ourselves. We've always benchmarked against something that's useful, and when there isn't something useful, we've put our hands up and said, "Well, we can't look at that race." The problem being, of course. When the bookmaker's offering 
six, seven, eight, nine places, these exceptional races, uh, that's where all the value is. So it's been like really frustrating for a number of people that we've been missing out on the uh, races that have most of the value. So we addressed this. We did. We we carried out extensive historical study covering all UK and Ireland races since 2007. That uh, is the finishing positions of 1,512,665 horses. I categorised these into a number of horses in a race. So that was the first category. And then we categorised it into SP bands. And by doing that, we had a load of subsets where we can make an empirical judgment that a horse with an odds of, say, 13.5 to win in a 16-horse race will have finished in the top four 28% of the time or whatever, right? And that allows us to fill the gaps where a better metric is not available. Uh, we can now estimate some EV under exceptional circumstances using historical data. There are a load of limitations with this, right? For starters, we don't consider field composition so field composition is really important there could be a unusually short price favorite or maybe eight of the horses are priced at 500 to one or both and that has a massive effect on the probability of horses placing every race composition does the more unusual the composition the larger the effect as well uh, and that's not considered by the BB algorithm. We're just on the first draft, but we hope to address it in the future. It's a big project. But the whole thing's been quite a big project. Um, so for this reason, the algorithm can just be used for highlighting value. But uh, it's still sort of up to people to make their own assessment if they're using the BB algorithm, whether the horse is plus EV or not. And there's a lot of uncertainty at the 100.1. We're, we're betting at 100.1 and above. But those 100.1s, they carry uncertainty and they could be 99.9s or lower. We've also uh, got horse race meetings tool, which is something, it's not for people that, I don't want to turn this to an advert. How do you do this when it's not an advert? I'm just saying what we did, what's out there. These are just facts. Fast forward to the song if that's what you want to hear. It's just around the corner. The, the horse race meetings tool estimates the fair prices in a large number of markets related to race meetings. So, for example, favourite performance, you get 25 points for a win, 10 for a second or 5 for a third. And then William Hill and the spreads and loads of bookmakers uh, offer bets on favourite performance. You've got jockeys to win three races or four races or five races at the particular race meet. Um, we take all the live prices from Betfair Exchange and just summarize it for the user. We don't actually provide any value bets there. It's for people that want to explore themselves. Because the thing is, once you put a bet like Rachel Blackmore to have three or more winners at entry on Saturday uh, is value, it can be big value, and then everyone jumps in at the same time and they destroy it. So with the, things like this, it's better for people that want to be inquisitive. The data's there. Yeah, um, it's for advantage players that want to go and seek out uh, edges at bookmakers and spreads um, but um, we're not actually going to give um, the actual bets because we kill them it's sort of self-employed and the third thing that we've got which is cool it's the systems bet calculator tool um, so this is a calculator on the site that will work out um, singles doubles trebles quadruples x folds um uh, sort of X folds and N selections, trebles, Yankees, Canadians, lucky 15s, lucky 31s, lucky 63s, all these different multiples kinds of bets that you do. Now, uh, placing multiples is extremely important when you've got uh, value because you're compounding the value in favor of yourself. It's exactly why bookmakers push uh, a 
accumulators because they're presuming that every selection in your accumulator is going to be negative EV. And so the edge that they're getting over you is even higher. If you want more about this, have a listen to um, Anthony Kaminskas from a few weeks ago, who was sort of telling us from a Paddy Power perspective how the pushing... They're pushing these um, lucky 15s and things to people because they are, they're magnifying the edge that they're getting over the customers. They love them. At the same time, if all of our selections are plus EV, we're magnifying the edge that we're getting over the bookmaker. Um, something that's 5% uh, EV, 1.05 times 1.05 times 1.05 times 1.05, all four of them together is more than 1.2 because we're compounding the EV there. So we want to be doing it as much as possible. It works really well for horses. Um, so there's a few examples that I've put together on the Systems Bet Calculator notes page. If you want to go and have a look at that, you can have some plus EV horses with some negative EV horses, and it still makes a plus EV slip. It's the same as the football, really. Um there all of the value in the horse racing is coming from the place component generally i like to have win obs filtered out and that means that all wins are uh, lower than the fair odds all places are higher than the fair odds so it's that part of the component that is giving us value when we are um multiplying things together and putting them in sisters bets god help us if they ever change the each way system uh, I don't know why they haven't, other than they must believe that people are hooked on them and um, there would be a rebellion against change. Um, but all of these edges just come out. Uh, if you have a look at the um, EV of the win odds, they're generally between 80 and 100%. But if you look at the EV of the place odds, they're generally between about 110 to 150, 180%. So um, we're a lot more over 100% for the place than we are under 100% for the win which is why we're getting value out, right? And then there's a couple of um, different... So this system spec calculators can be used um, to work out uh, returns, uh, to work out EV. You know, if you've got two or three negative EV and one or two plus EV, is it still plus EV in the end? So it can be used to work that out. And it can also be used to work out a couple of different bonuses. Uh, there's double, triple odds of a single winner. So you put four... Um, uh, horses into a lucky 15 at Fred just one wins you'll get triple the odds and that can actually be really big in terms of monetary EV it's an overlooked concession everyone focuses on free bets so I saw somebody get there was a £5 free bet in the Daily Star the other day so someone bought 21 Daily Stars so in Jesus Christ so I have to go to 21 different shops and worry about getting caught doing that you know what I mean Whereas you can just place a couple of these big EV horse racing lucky 15s with double, triple odds for a single winner and you get exactly the same amount as EV and you just keep on repeating it. It's dumb. Uh, the EV of... Um, also, uh, the there's another one which is... Sorry, apologies. It, you get a bonus if all the horses win. So you might get a 10... 25, 30% bonus um, if you're lucky 15, lucky 31, lucky 63, if all of them win. So that's not as big as the double, triple odds for a single winner. Both of them are dependent on the magnitudes of the odds within each bet slip. Generally, for double, triple odds for a single winner, you, the, the larger the priced horses, the more EV you're getting. You're throwing 41 uh, horses in there, you're getting massive EV. Uh, you get less EV for you know single digit odds. Uh, and it's the other way around for the X percent bonus if all horses win. You 
get more uh, less EV uh, for the larger price horses because you, you want it to win more often. You want odds-on horses or evens horses in there. Um, but the EV, you know, even down at two to one can be 5% more using those concessions, meaning that you could have a horse is averaging 95% EV uh, and you throw it in this slip um, or even 90% EV and you throw it in this slip and it can be plus EV using the concessions. So it means it really sort of opens up the number of horses that you can be betting on um, in the lucky 15s. Um, uh, yeah, I've got a screenshot here. I had uh, four negative EV horses down at 96, 97, 98% EV. Put it into a lucky 15 with a uh, three times um, the odds for a single winner, which you get at Betfred. You're 111.75% EV slip with odds of 7, 17, 6, and 6. I mean, it's nuts, right? Um, so search out those bonuses at Betfred and other places do it as well. Um, they're definitely worth attacking. Um, uh, there's some untapped EV going on there, uh, and certainly in the shops like the other night, um, if even if you forget the bonus every now and again, you might just hit that little lottery jackpot and have the high four figure or high f or small figure five figure or even high five figure um, lucky fifteen land. And uh, yeah, talking to our man a couple of weeks ago. It might even just be a mid-sized six-figure as well. All right, that's enough horse racing and Megabants for the first half. Megabants, there we go. You are listening to the Bashcast, and it's brought to you by BookieBashing.net.
And welcome back to the Bashcast. That was She's a Bad Mama Jammer. She's built, she's stacked by Carl Carlton from the album Carl Carlton, released 1981. Back in the day where people used to release albums with their own name. It's Tom Brownlee with the album Tom Brownlee. Some funk, some funk and soul. Tell you what, 2019 last week, 1981 this week. Next week on the Bashcast, we've got some fresh new beats from George Friedrich Handel in the Bucky Bashing News. Uh, matchbooks seem to go from... Well, they're back, aren't they, Matchbook? They went away. They went away because uh, they lost their licence under the Gambling Commission. Something to do with people who were betting with them sh- were pretty big players and shouldn't have been betting with them. People who were seeding liquidity perhaps had knowledge of things that the average person didn't have. Um, obviously, the details of these things never get published, and so there's a little bit of hearsay go around, uh, going around. But um, it was it, it was in the realms of there were market makers who uh, weren't particularly fair market makers, and so one side of um, the liquidity was getting an unfair edge at Matchbook. The Gambling Commission took their license away. They did a review of them. That review will have had um, a number of different um, outcomes and changes requested of Matchbook. Which they have, um, which they've made, um, and over a period of time, over a year or however long it was that their um, that their license was uh, withheld for, they've made these changes and they're back. Um, one of these changes seems to be that they want to know who everybody is, slightly um, authoritarian in the way that they do this. Um, they're really blunt on ID now, probably as a result of this wanting to know exactly who everyone is that's betting on the site. But I mean, people who have done no wrong are, as always, the people that get caught up in this event. Now, they um, have um, some uh, enhanced special markets, right? So, I mean, all the exchanges say that they're, they're not for arbitrage players. You shouldn't arbitrage. They're just for people that like to back and for people that like to lay at 10 to 1 because everybody loves betting at 1.1, don't they? Um, I don't know why this rhetoric continues. It's obviously people making a book who are using the lay function on exchanges. So, um, they have these enhanced specials on there, you know, um, because bookmakers in their enhanced specials, they have moved towards uh, more complicated things to work out. They're no longer just offering, um, you know, a team to win boosted to X, Y, Z because you can just lay that off. Even just uh, team to uh, trebles, three teams to win, you can now lay any multiple at markets. So you find that the bookmakers are having ever more sort of uh, clever ways of boosting prices uh sky bet booster player to have a header um you get a lot of um team to win and both teams to score team to win to nil uh boosted uh and very common recently is a player to have shots on target um which we found out a solution for benchmarking um by taking the bookmakers that offer the over and the under on shots on target which is bet 365 and bet safe and then reverse engineering what they've been using for expected shots on target and projecting forward using a exact Poisson probability distribution. So um, it's fairly straightforward to work out the price of 
shots on target bets and um, matchbook have the enhanced specials up and they put up every enhancement and anything that's pretty decent will go up and what i was noticing uh, very clearly is that um within an hour or so of something hitting my tracker using our model it was going up on the enhanced specials at matchbook there was a definite relationship between what I was putting up on the tracker, what BB team were putting up on the tracker, and what was going on up on Matchbook. I would even deliberately miss out a big bet on the tracker for a couple of days just to test it out, and it wouldn't appear on Matchbook. So there was a link to what was going on at our tracker to Matchbook. One of two things was happening. Somebody in our community was asking them to be put up. To be fair, or, before I come to that comment, Somebody in Matchbook was is at Bucky bashing. Now we would never know if he's using a personal email address. There's no way of knowing that. Um, to be fair, somebody in the Bucky bashing community did say that they were requesting for a lot of the markets to be put up on Matchbook because they wanted to back them and lay them off because they could get more down by doing that. Now I can't. We can't have any control over whether people request lay markets or not for these prices or for a lot that goes on Bucky Bashing. What I would say is that it's a very short-term view of doing it. There are pros and cons. Now, the pro is that you can take advantage on the exchange of biased markets because the um, the match betters are just, will just take any crap price, right? So if they're backing at 5-1, to one, you could maybe, you can't back at five to one because either you can't get enough money down on the boost or you don't have an account there. Well, you could put a layup at uh, 5.95 and there are, genuinely, there are people that will just back at five to one and lay at 5.95 because they're idiots. Um, and that uh, sort of ease of manipulation is quite a standard way of advantage play on the exchanges. But it is a short-term view of requesting these markets to go up because whilst uh, you can take advantage of the match betters at the same time we have a cost there and the cost is that it's easier for people to take the boost and when it's easier for people to take the boost more money gets attracted in that direction the bookmaker stops offering the boost anytime the bookmakers hit hard in a particular edge or an angle that edge or an angle has a limited shelf life left right so if we are just sitting and backing uh, and um, letting these things ride, we're in quite a small Venn diagram with the mug punters who have just stumbled across these bets. Uh, and that's fine. The minute that the lay market goes up on the exchanges is the minute that the tens of thousands of match bettors go and hit it on all of the accounts that they have and they don't have to worry about bankroll management. You see, there's a boost up at five to one. You're like, okay, I'd probably want to win maybe, you know, even if I'm a pretty high stakes guy, I'll want to win 500 pounds on that. Um, and so that's maybe, what, 20 pound max? 100 pound max liability on the boost, sorry? So you want maybe, I don't know, five of your friends to go and bet on it. It's very difficult to actually sort of get enough on 
to satisfy yourself, but you could maybe do it. But some of these much better guys, they've got a hundred accounts, and all, the, and they don't have to worry about the bankroll management. They're like, right, I'm going to bet ten thousand pounds liability, and I'm going to lay it off, and it's a problem for the bookmaker. And the bookmaker's only reaction to this can be to stop putting the bets up. So it's a short-term viewpoint asking for these markets. Yes, you'll get more down in the short term. No, you won't get more down in the long run. It's the metagame thing. Personally, I think we should be getting rid of most of these markets and the exchange don't allow us to. Right, Hillside Blues. Don't allow us to lay them off. So much so, in fact, that because I'd noticed a relationship between what was going up on my track and what was going up on matchbook um i thought well we've got two options here i could ask my community not to do it but what control do i have over that what control does anyone have over that you can ask someone not to do it but if they've got a short-term financial incentive to do it they're not going to listen to you you are going to do say please it's not going to work so i took a different approach i i contacted matchbook and I said, right, guys, I can see you're putting up these shots on targets. And I, I can see that they're coming from my tracker, right? I know they are because only the ones that go on my tracker are appearing on your site. Uh, and the good ones that are out there that don't appear on my tracker aren't being on the site. There's a, somehow there's a relationship. So why don't we work together? You see, I don't think it, it's it, that bad you putting the Skybet one up where Kane to have a shot on target is boosted from 1 to 8 to evens because they've got a marketing budget at Skybet that can uh, deal with those exact bets. But when it's something like um, LeBron James to score over 34.5 points in a match or something where I just know it's me that's gone out and done it and perhaps it, it could even be a standard market as some of them are that are going on the trackers, then you're not, the bookmakers aren't going to take any liquidity. You're just killing these things. And so there are certain bets that you should be putting up for layers and there are certain bets that you shouldn't be. And if they want, because there's nothing here really for them, if they want, I'll work with them. I can provide Matchbook perhaps with some insight and daily insight into our tracker on what can be laid off and what shouldn't be touched. I'd be more than willing to partner with Matchbook on that. They can work with BB Team, they can work with me, they can have access to the tracker, you know what I mean? Um, we can find a way to make this sustainable for all of us in the long run, but let's not just put every bet on our tracker up on Matchbook to be laid off. And um, 48 hours later, I got a reply from Matchbook. And the reply was a request for me to send in my passport or my driving license and two forms of ID that have been sent to my um, house. What's that got to do with my email to them about working with them. Um, so I sent in my ID to Matchbook uh, and uh, they looked at it for three days and then t sent me a, an account, uh, an email saying that my account had been updated and they completely ignored the email. Thanks very much. So that's it, Matchbook didn't want to talk to me. They just ignored me. In fact, they just made life a hassle for me by ID requesting me, which I don't know what the point of that was. It seems like a ridiculous sort of abuse slightly doesn't it but it just which is pointless which is wasting my time anyway um fast forward to today what i know is that um every other market they are 
charging 2% commission. If you just back these biased markets on the exchange, they're now charging 5% on the enhanced specials because they want the liquidity themselves. They want to be the guys that are taking the value from the match betters. But charging people that just back um, 5% when other markets are 2% doesn't seem to be a particularly fair way of doing it. And they have such a, a weirdly passive-aggressive tone in the emails where they say, your account will remain under review. I mean, what account isn't under review all of the time? Are there other accounts under, out there that are never under review? Can I have one of them, if there are? Um but it's almost like the suggestion that you're doing something wrong. By doing something wrong, what they mean is that you're making money where they could be making money. So they want you to stop doing it. They see you as a threat to their bottom line. Um, not me, but I had a pal the other day. Yesterday, in fact, it was the Arsenal match. And um, there was one of these... You see these guys in the exchange who are... How do you, what, what is the technical name for them? Arseholes. And the back price will be, for example, uh, 6.0. And there'll be a lay of 61. Or the back price will be 2.58 and there'll be a lay of 26. Or the back price will be 13.5 and there'll be a lay of 140. Because what the um, technical term arseholes are trying to do is they are trying to uh, trick people who have missed the decimal point into laying a price that shouldn't exist um, because they missed the decimal point. They're, they think it's 26.0. They are they end up um, laying at 260. Ouch to them. These guys really, you know, they, they serve no purpose in the environment, in the ecosystem. And Lacazette was 6.0 to back, uh, and he was uh, 61 to lay or 60 to lay, both for £10 as well. And my friend saw this, and so um, he didn't like it, so he put a quid up at 56, just to put something, a barrier up in front of the guy who was sitting at 60. And he actually got nibbled for 9p, 9 whole p. And he got an email shortly afterwards. And it said, Dear Mr. Can you please refrain from offering trap offers on the site? The recent offer you placed on the Lacazette to score uh, is well outside the market value for the event. If you continue to place these types of offers, we will need to review your account. What account isn't a review? Passive aggressive. I understand that you want to get rid of trap offers. I think that's great. This isn't the way to do it. Uh, regards matchbook compliance it's not the way to do it um if you th if they think that something is well outside of the market value then they should be putting caps on the ranges that you can back and lay at and i wouldn't be against that at all you know so if the market value of lacazette is uh 6.0 then you can back or lay anywhere between evens and 20 to 1 um, they should have taken into account as well that it was 9p. Um, but they just seem a little bit matchbook. They're very knee-jerk reactionary after being given their license back. Uh, they they didn't want to talk to me. They are saying that everybody's uh, accounts are constantly under review. They're passive-aggressive. 
they are not allowing people to take advantage of the biased uh, lay markets or exchange markets when the only reason that they would be doing that is so that they can eat up all of the liquidity. I'm generally not a fan. I'm generally not a fan of the way that markets are conducting their business. Uh, and I hope that they uh, shape up and improve things in the future. this week saw a very I saw an interesting question I thought on Twitter uh, it was phrased quite well question was um, genuine questions so proper answers only what is the positive function of Arbors in a betting ecosystem what value do they bring outside of generating some turnover to really to help really scrub those funds uh, interesting question something I've thought about quite a lot I don't quite know what he means by scrub those funds but okay Let's just dismiss that for now um scrub those funds that you just sort of saying scrub those funds it sounds like you're talking about money laundering there but why would that be what's what's the association between money laundering and arbing i suppose oh okay yeah maybe if you've made ten thousand pounds from from selling your cocaine then you put five thousand on federer five thousand on Djokovic, and then you walk away with your nine thousand nine hundred eighty pounds maybe that is exactly what he's saying i don't know but i've always been of the opinion that arbors have a, a negative effect overall um they are as discussed in the last segment um primarily short-term uh, viewists um and there are a set of people that it's it's kind of a weird venn diagram with mugs arbors and advantage players because there is the argument that uh, they just take out of the out of the pool and they don't give anything back um, financially. We're talking about money here. So there's a set of money. Some money has to um, the the losing pay, payers pay in. The companies take a little bit of money out for uh, overhead and profit. The betting companies, or the exchanges, take a bit out for commission for overhead and profit. You have the um, match betters and the arbors who just take money out for themselves and put none in. And then you have the advantage players, which probably fall into two different categories. The good advantage players, they also just take money out, although they lose and they win and they lose and they win. But it's really no different. It's kind of, Advantage players are much different to um, arbing, but without the hedge. You know what I mean? However... Um, there should be more money, I think. That certainly a lot more money because of the effects of compounding that can be made from advantage players and match betting. Um, so the good ones are taking money out. The bad ones are still putting money in because they they're just they're they're just mug punters who think that there are advantage players. So it's a weird Venn diagram there. If you want to argue that the arbors are just taking money out, well, I guess the advantage players are as well. Um, so do the advantage players have any positive function on the betting ecosystem? So the, the 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 difference being, I guess you could argue that there are much fewer advantage players and also they help, they help shape the markets. Do the arbors help shape the market? Well, some of the answers on this Twitter, anyway. Uh, it helps the market function by creating liquidity and finding the correct price. No, trust me, as we, as we can see with, the, with those boosted specials, if something is boosted to five to one, you'll see a lay of four of um, five point nine five. It'll be one increment under 
trust me. And that's got no bearing on the uh, on the fair price. In fact, the fair price may be higher or lower than the boost. People generally, I, I noticed this with uh, a shots on target boost with Kane. Um, let me just bring it up one second because I actually made a report on it. And it's here through the magic of technology and no editing whatsoever because that didn't te really take me 10 minutes just to find this bleeding blog. Right, I saw that Paddy Power had um, boosted uh, Sergio Aguero. Remember him to have three plus shots on target. Um, they boosted him to five to one, uh, just randomly, as we were saying. And the market had a uh, back at 5.6 and a lay at 5.8. And then Paddy Power cut him to Sergio Aguero to have three plus shots on target to 4.5. So it's no longer value, right? It's 4.5 to back, 5.8 to late. Well, almost immediately, and I've got screenshots of this in the blog, the market shifted to have a lay of 4.4. Whatever the boost was, the lay was just under it. And there are two th reasons for this, really. The, the the market doesn't know how to calculate it, okay? So it's just following the boost price. And there's the assumption that the boost is good. And it's so good that anything incrementally just under the boost will also be good. And to tell you the truth, using that as a blanket assumption might not be terrible, but there are so many boosts out there that are bad. It's not optimal, for sure. It's not optimal game theory, that. But people are just putting lay prices up that are an increment under the boost price because they're assuming that that's a good price. So if the boost is 5 to 1, you see 5.8 as a lay. If the boost is 7 to 2, you see 4.4 as a lay. And the people providing that liquidity have no idea what the fair price is. So saying that Arbor's, um, they provide liquidity and find the correct price doesn't work for me. They just really, They just take anything that they can get that is under the price that they are backing at. Uh, there's another answer. There are, must be a few traders who nick a few points off Arbors. Uh, for, yeah, th yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. Uh, but that's not a benefit. That's not a benefit to the wider market. The fact that us guys are out there taking advantage of the, the Arbors and the match betters. Uh, generally, Arbors are hedging into Betfair and happy to lay slightly over the true odds, thus some value. But yeah, but that's, again, it's the same price. So people, it's the same point. Just because there are a few of us out there that can take advantage of them doesn't mean that, that that's good overall. But then what is good overall, you could argue? Um, they obviously add some positive function, which someone in a risk role could answer. Okay, great. Can we get them on here? Um, you use them as a mark to show when you're priced as an old or stale price. Yeah, but, I mean, that seems like a heavy cost to pay for marking out older stale prices. For me, I think, for the amount of money that Arbus take out, uh, there must be a better way. I mean, that really is like using a sledgehammer to crack a nut, isn't it? I mean, there must be a better way of managing old and stale prices than allowing hundreds of thousands of people to come in and smash it. Um, OBS are effectively created by operators. Uh, everyone has a tool to monitor if certain odd, odds create an OBS situation. Operators deliberately set this up in case they want to de-risk balance the book in a certain event. Quite cool risk management tool actually for the books. Okay. Um, that was the first product that Sport Radar, Bet Radar, 
produced. Um, they generate more liquidity, so the operator pays more tax, so the NHS gets more funding. God bless those selfless professional gamblers and their philanthropic ways. Arbors are not professional gamblers. I've seen it said before by Arbors, what do we call ourselves in an occupation? Uh, professional gambler? Uh, I think you should be up for a Trades Description Act if you even try that one. Uh, quicker market correction. Again, if that's true, what an expensive way to um, correct the market. Uh, they are helped to soft books in getting to that vanilla biting point price that makes most money from recreationals come start time. Perhaps that's probably the best argument that I've seen. Again, if that is a true function of what the soft books are doing, allowing um, the order price to appear, it seems an extremely expensive cost of business, and there has to be a better way of um, there has to be a better way of managing it. But I have yet to see a really reasoned and sound argument about what benefit that they have. I think they they are a long term cost. Um, I think that they are short term thinkers. Um, I think being one uh, is limiting the amount of money that you're even able to make um, out of gambling. Not that I would want all of them to be converted into advantage players and not that I would really want them to go away because a significant amount of my money has been made, you know, exploiting. I saw last week Chelsea in the Champions League was boosted to flash uh, to 4.5, 7-2. Chelsea's score in both halves was boosted to 7-2 flash odds at William Elm um, and we made fair odds 3.3 now this is a game where you would need to factor in scenarios into that because if Chelsea go ahead in the first half um, they may want to park the bus actually what, and to be fair um, the market was well it was 4.2 to lay but that had to be biased. The top price at the bookmaker was 3.25. I made fair odds 3.31. That's quite a thin margin between top price and fair odds, but it could be possible. 4.2 to lay did on markets thousands of pounds there. I got I got some of the 4.2. Um, and then the price came crashing down to about 3.7, which is still considerably higher than the fair odds. So a long time after the flash odds had gone away with the max £10 price on it. So I got quite a decent amount of money on there. I was tempted to hedge it out when it came down to 3.7, or some of it out, because I was a little bit over-staking. My main concern of my over-staking was that was there an underestimation in the calculator for the fair odds of Chelsea to score in both halves, which is just their XG from the first half multiplied by the XG in the second half. Is there a scenario where if they score in the first half, they're not going to score in the second half? So the worst case scenario for us would be sort of a 1-0 at half time. I mean, it's different if it's 1-0 or 1-2 or 2-1. Um, but a 1-0 might affect things. So it was 1-0 in the first half. I went for a run. I was listening to it. I was like, this is interesting. I listened to the halftime, um, the halftime report on Radio 5 Live. And the question was put to Clinton Morrison, possibly the best um, commentator out there, uh, or pundit as far as I'm concerned just now. It's great to listen to he said, um, what is Chelsea's strategy going to be for the second half? And um, he argued that, well, they are definitely going to be on the back foot, but that means they're going to have more opportunities on the counter-attack, and hopefully, either way, we should see more goals for Chelsea in the second half. I was like, okay, so we're in the worst-case scenario right now in terms of part-the-bus coefficients, and 
A sort of respected pundit who knows his football strategy is suggesting that because Chelsea are 1-0 up in the first half, which is the riskiest position for us to be in under the part of the bus coefficient, um, they are, if anything, more likely to get a goal in the second half, which means the scenario would be the reverse. The 3.3 would be a pessimistic price. Either way you look at it, the 4.2 I was getting was great. Um, and I also mentioned this because it came in, and booyah to me, it was my big uh, win of the week. I wasn't even going to discuss that, but I'll tell you this. Were it not for Arbus, uh, none of that would have happened for me because the £10 flash odds um, max would be something like a 10p max bet for me on my uh, online William Hill. What's coming up in the next rounds of the Champions League? Well, the markets have got City... There's four teams left, City, PSG, Rail and Chelsea. And the markets have got Man City up at 2.4, PSG at 4.5, Real Madrid at 5, Chelsea at 5.1. Do you remember the days when, um, it was only a couple of seasons ago, where the English teams weren't getting far and the Spanish teams weren't getting far in this tournament. And now we've got uh, two... English Premier League, that's just variance for you, isn't it? What do you think? Um, so we've got a, how long is the break? It's 27th of April, so we've got two week break. Real Madrid versus Chelsea, uh, PSG versus City. Both of those would be cracking matches. Wouldn't be on the unders in them. And then it could be a Chelsea City final, or it could be a Real Madrid PSG final, either way. Whatever it is that you're betting on, do make sure it's value. Uh, we'll be back maybe next week. Make it five out of five for the Bashcast. It's Tom signing out. Did the earth move fire? Did the earth move fire? Did the earth move fire?